Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the Text to Pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. I'm joined today by the incredible Italian <laughs> New Yorker, Luis Priolo. Wait, Luigi. I always call you Luis. I like Luis more. What, uh, wait, what, what town are you from in Italy, Lou? Like, what's your family? Where does your family hail from? Um, from uh, Naples on one side and Sicily and Calabria on the other side. Do you consider yourself more of a Sicilian or yeah. uh, Napolitan? Uh, no, probably Sicilian. I went to Naples for the first time this year and uh, I used to think that Sicilian food was like the bomb and it was the best. I went to Naples and it's like, whoa, this is a toss up. This is really hard. Oh, man. Of course, everyone in Italy thinks their food and their wine is better than everybody else's. But yeah, I'd probably I'd probably identify more with the Sicilian side of the family than the Neapolitan uh, side. And then we're also joined by the amazing <laughs> Shannon Gibby Smith. Hey, you remembered. How about that? How what, about what, that? Where's your uh, what's your heritage? What's your? Uh... I'm from East Tennessee. No, but I mean before oh, East Tennessee. I, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, you know, like everybody, um, I'm Irish and English. Like everybody. I mean, like a lot of people, you know, especially East Tennessee, Appalachians. You know, oh, yeah. you have oh, yeah. Scotch-Irish. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's an old Tennessean. That's right. Well, you know, the D's, we were from Scotland, mm. and we lived in North Carolina for a while until the Civil War. That got us down to Alabama. And uh, now we're migrating back east. I'm taking the family back to, back to North Carolina, I guess, through Atlanta. But anyway, we're here today <laughs> to talk about uh, the sermon from yesterday, God's Providence. Chaps tells me there's no recording this week, so I guess this has only been official for those of you that are actually in the service. Um, but just to kind of recap, we were talking about the life of Joseph. Um, we read this very famous passage from Genesis 50, uh, where the brothers of Joseph come to him. This is after their father Jacob had died. They go to Joseph. They're worried that he could bring justice upon them. They're worried that he could kill them. And, and they bow down before him, totally fulfilling the dream that he had had 40 years before. And he says to them, you know, brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? What you intended for evil, God intended for good. And we use that passage, obviously it's a very famous passage. We use that passage as a springboard to talk about the idea of providence, God's providential care, that God didn't just set things in motion, right? We're not deists, Lou, but he... (laughs) What are you saying? Well, I'm just, you know, (laughs) I was looking at Lou. We're not deists. Uh, We believe that God not only created all things and did, in a sense, set things in motion, but that he actually is very involved and and is governing over um, everything that he has made. The big question, obviously, on providence is how does the providence of God, the providential care, rule, reign of God, um, how is that compatible with the freedoms of men and women? 
How, how is God's sovereign or providential care or reign compatible with the real decisions that we made? So that was kind of what we spent the bulk of the time talking about yesterday. We can talk about more of the, uh, the actual sermon as we go through this. But Lou, what were some of your impressions from the sermon? You know, I really thought the way you, you addressed the issue about the scriptures and how God used the personality, the history, the thought patterns, everything in the life of the human authors to ultimately uh, bring about an inspired, flawless, sufficient book. And I think the point was well taken. It, we don't believe, generally speaking, in mechanical dictation. I mean, there's a few places in the Bible where it was dictated, apparently, obviously. But by and large, no. God used everything in the life and the history and the circumstance of the human author so that when it was done, what was put on that page, at the point at which the pen hit the paper of the original manuscript, God's Word was produced. Yeah, and so that's, I think the Bible illustrates compatibilism uh, in this really, really powerful way. I mean, obviously it is compatibilism, but it, it illustrates compatibilism, the compatibility between the sovereign decisions of man or the, the free will decisions of man versus the sovereignty of God in this really, really powerful way. Uh, because like you said, you even see the personality and language mm -hmm. and writing style in the different biblical authors. Um, there's this one like part that I, I really like. Um, it's it's basically like when Mary's, you know, using the expensive oil on Jesus' feet, and Judas complains about it. This is mm -hmm. in the Gospel of John. Yeah. And Judas complains about it. Judas, of course, betrayed Christ. And and uh, he he says to Jesus, the complaint that he gives is, couldn't this perfume be sold and right. be given to the poor? Right. And John adds this wonderful little aside that's like. He didn't care about the poor, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. you see this real personality of John that was obviously even later, you know, hopefully he wasn't bitter uh, against Joseph, right. but still hurt by, or Judas, but still hurt by the betrayal of Judas, you know, all these years later, the end of his life when he's writing this gospel. So anyway, the personality of the authors comes through in the text. I've got another one. I was reading this the other night, you know, um, Peter says, that people twist what our beloved brother Paul says, um, and they're hard to understand. Well, it's a lot easier to translate from Greek to English Paul's writing than Peter's. Peter's language was very sophisticated mm. in, in the Greek, so there's a difference in style even in the, the language, the vocabulary, the usage of the individual authors. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. If you've <clears throat> ever taken Greek, yeah. Uh, so, for example, John is really easy to right. translate. That's where you even start. Revel even Revelation. Right, yeah. That's yeah. where you start when you're learning mm -hmm. Greek. Because, like, First Peter, though, really, really hard. So, I never took First Peter as an exegesis course, FYI. All right, Shannon, what's some impressions that you have? Oh, wow. I mean, the whole sermon was so impactful and amazing. But the way you closed it out, I guess, really uh, made a strong impression on me. And you talked about how... You know, a lot of people think that the Christian life is about performance, and it's not. And then you gave an example. Um, I mean, when I say a lot of people, I mean, you know, those maybe who aren't really Christians, um, but they think that we have to, you know, check certain boxes and in order to get to gain God's favor. And then you gave this example about John Kellis and how he was struggling, you know, to focus at school 
somewhat with his homework and how you've been helping him. And I rem you said, you know, I haven't loved him less because of this struggle. He's my son. In a sense, when he's struggling, I love him more because the relationship isn't based on performance. It's based on relationship. And that really struck me because I am a parent of four. But then you went on to say, um, and this is, I think, what left me really actually in tears. Um, you were talking about, you know, some of you, your lives are going really well. And you just stay on the course, just keep doing the next right thing. But then some of you right now are, have been through the ringer. You're in the fire. And you, you mentioned that that's just evidence that God loves you. And in his providence, he's using those things in your life to bring about something beautiful. So stay the course, trust in him, and stay with him. Just look to Jesus. And so, you know, you know, all of you know that 2019 has been kind of a tough year for me. Um, it has been, I think, I feel like I have kind of been in the fire, whether it's, you know, health issues with my parents or with my kids or just, you know, being falsely accused of something that, you know, all that. So I'm um, having to go through that. So to me, you know, I, I you know, you want to leave a, a service feeling encouraged. And I, and I did, I mean, yeah. as you know, I'm, I am definitely on the fire, but I le definitely left, you know, feeling encouraged. I know this to be true, but I needed to hear it again. So that really, well, and you say that, you know, a lot of people think that Christianity is about performance. I mean, obviously, us, or hopefully our theology, we know that um, our righteousness falls short of the right. glory of God and we're dependent on the righteousness of Christ. We're trusting in the righteousness of Christ. That's true Christianity, right? But even so, we need to be reminded of the gospel all the time because right. we all fall into this you know, performance trap, right? We all want... It's kind of default. Yeah, kind of we all want to like look at ourselves and say, oh, obviously I'm justified. Mm -hmm. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Rather than, you know, falling on our faces before the cross every day right. and realizing that our righteousness and our life and our salvation is in Christ. I love the... Uh, there's this famous scene... Uh, have you ever read Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, John Bunyan? It's not Pilgrim's Progress, yeah. John Bunyan's famous book. Right. It's, it's actually it's like his autobiography. Mm -hmm. And there's this scene, he's always wrestling with this. And then he said, and then one day I was walking across the field and I saw in my mind's eye Christ standing before the throne of God. And he said, and his righteousness is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when God considered me, all he could see was Jesus, mm -hmm. whose righteousness is perfect. And so positionally, that's who we are. That's, that's you know, that is our standing before God. Um, and, and so we have been received, we've been accepted by grace through Jesus. Um, and so when things are going hard, when things are uh, difficult, uh, when we're struggling with something, just like a parent and a child. Positionally, John Kellis is my son, right? He didn't do anything to get to be my son. Uh, he was, if you will, by God's grace, selected to be my son. Or, you know, the Lord gave us this child. And so um, when he's struggling, I don't say, all right, get him out. I need another one. Right. No, when he's struggling, it's almost like I'm going to put more energy. In fact, interestingly... Emriana, who, you know, rarely struggles with her homework or whatever, has kind of been jealous of John Kellis this week because he's getting more of my attention, more of my time than she has been getting, right? Because there's a greater need right now, even though she's performing better. And so I do think that's a great encouragement to you guys. Like, 
it's oftentimes in the storm, in mm-hmm. the fire, that you, in one sense, and again, you can know God more deeply is probably the right. safest way to put that. Uh, you can experience more of his presence. Lou, do you have something to add? I was just remembering when I committed my life to the Lord as a young man, there was this radio preacher um, in New York, uh, and he used this term that just really struck me. He would talk about our righteousness consciousness. And the idea behind it is that even though you sin, arguably even in the midst of your sin, you should have a sense that knowing that positionally you are righteous before God. And it, it just helped me over the years to cultivate this mindset that I walk around um, righteous and positionally before God. And it, it just really makes it easier for me not to fall in the performance trap because I know that my position before God through Christ is eternally secure. You know what, Lou, you bring that up, and actually it brings to mind a text a pastor question that uh, we got. Uh, So let me go ahead and um, talk about this before. It says, can a rebellious man, a sinner, who acts in disobedience to God's plan, throw off or disrupt the providential plan? Example, so-and-so chooses to sin by having premarital sex. Does that sinful act going against God's will either alter the outcome for that person or delay God's plan for him. Um, Obviously, God foreknew that that would happen, Hmm. but it wouldn't be in in God's providential will for this person's life. So so what I would, that's a really good question. What I would say to kind of clarify this, and it goes along with what you're saying, in God's providence, right, God is always working to bring about his glory and to bring about good things for his people. So, for example, this is a really good, uh, the Joseph story is a really good analogy because, the, or example rather, the, the brothers were sinning, dividing themselves from God in their sin. However, even through their sin, because they were the tribes of Israel, because they were God's people, God was bringing about something good for them. It was God's good plan for his people, actually, to bring them to the land of Goshen, where they could thrive and flourish as a people and go back into the promised land and establish nation. So his providential care is working for his glory and for the good of his people, his people now being understood as those who are in Christ. However, our sin, when we sin, that disrupts, you, you could call it God's moral will or the, the obedience to God's way or however you want to say it. His revealed will, maybe. His revealed will, yeah. Disobedience to his revealed will disrupts our communion and relationship with him, um, even though he still may be acting through that for our good and and there may be consequences because we made a volitional choice to to rebelliously disobey god nevertheless god according to uh hebrews 12 god will spank us right god will discipline us and so again largely how we how we respond to the discipline but even in that we we sinfully disobey god spanks us 
that is intended to bring about his glory and ultimately our good. No, no chastening for the moment seems to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, uh, even after our sin, right, it brings forth, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who have been exercised by it. Right, and so I would say to the Christian or to somebody that says, well, you know what? I might as well have premarital sex because, you know, it's all gonna work out anyway. God's providentially in control. I would say that person, if that's your attitude, you're probably not a Christian, right? Mm -hmm. Because that is not evidence that the Spirit of God is working within you. So I wouldn't have any confidence if that's your, if you're open-handedly sitting before God, I would have no confidence that um, that things are going to work out well for you because you're not showing yourself to be one of God's people if you can high-handedly go to sin. It's not that we don't sin; sure. we, we do sin, but we don't. We sin. We feel conviction. We repent. We seek help. That's evidence of a repentant heart. That's evidence of someone who is truly in Christ. So, um, I, yes, I believe that God is working out all things for the good of those who love him, who've been according, according to his purpose. I believe that God is working out all things for his, the sake of his glory. But if your attitude toward God is, I can sin because God's working everything out for my good, that's evidence that you're not actually called by God. You're not, not actually one of God's people. Uh, called according to his word. Or at least it should cause you to question whether you really are. Like I'll say to a counselee sometimes, you know, brother, if, if I had the things going on in my life that you're telling me that you're struggling with without really trying to fight against it, without using the biblical resources that God has given you to deal with these sins, I would question whether yeah. or not I was really in the faith. And then I'll, I'll follow up by saying, well, do you ever doubt that you really are a believer? And then right. we go from there. Yeah, it's evidence is what I was right. saying. Yeah, yeah, if somebody has a gun in their hand near the crime scene, it doesn't necessarily right. mean they're a murderer, but you ask that person some right. questions. That's right. That's good. Hey, when you're talking about God's providential care, like you were just talking about, you, you, you mentioned that yesterday uh, when we were getting ready to take communion. You talked about you know, a fern died, and so now I have gas so I can drive my car. <laughs> okay, so that's different, right? I mean, be, because, I mean, is that kind of like what I would, what I've heard of as common grace? Because a fern died, yeah, I can drive my car, but so can, you know, the non-believer or whatever. So when you talk about providential care, as you were, you know, closing out the, your, the, the service yesterday, um, can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, and, well, God shows his care and kindness to all of his creation. So is that common grace? Is that kind of yeah, the same I mean, thing could, or is yeah, it little? Sir, you okay. can call it, you know, God causes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust, right? So yes, you would call that the common grace of God. It's good. It helps us to do things like drive cars or grow crops, but the common grace of God is not salvific. It's not right. a means by which you become one of God's people. Uh, so for example, in the story of Joseph, um, a lot of the Egyptians who weren't God's people, their lives were saved because right. of this providential act of care. And you just stretch that out. Again, it goes back to ages past where fossil fuels are being made. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can, just, you can think about it in a number of different ways. It's mind-blowing if you try to work it all out. You can say, Lou? Okay. Um, the, uh, oh, yeah, Lou, you had another question. Yeah, um, I forgot what it was. Freedom. 
Oh, actually, no, that's not the one I was struggling with. It was knowledge. It was got, um, wasn't it the knowledge? The exhaustive knowledge. The exhaustive knowledge, yeah, let's, re, let's reboot that. Um, so the exhaustive knowledge of God, yeah. I mean, basically I said that the thing that we don't think about probably enough is how much God really knows. Uh, he knows everything about you. He knows more than you than you know you. You don't think that. Because a lot of times we treat God as kind of a distant stranger. Yeah. He only knows what I reveal to him. No. He is sovereign. He knows his acknowledgement is exhaustive. He knows everything you've ever thought. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows, he knows everything that you don't even know about yourself. Can and, I be... Can, and so... Oh, no, I just... That, that's hard. I mean, I believe it, but can I be honest? I mean, is that, is that ever hard? I mean, to think that all the, mil, the billions of people on oh, earth... It's unbelievable. I mean, it's, I mean, I know he's God, and I'm not. And if I could, if I could figure this out, then, you know, obviously, um, he wouldn't be God. If I could, but does that, like... You, Lou, or Jason, me, it, does that, how does me, that make you, you it gives know, me comfort. I mean, I guess it does, but it does, but when you really, I guess in my little finite mind, I'm trying to figure out how is that? So I know you're God, so no, that's why no, it's that's, so, is that like a, no, it's, okay I mean, to even, it's mind boggling oh, it is. to try to equate how much information there is out there. Right. I mean, you know, it's mind boggling to think how much information is on the internet. Right. I mean, just think about like, I mean, just think about, like, if you ever had a random thought and you just Google it and, like, exactly what you're thinking of comes up, like, how does the Internet do that, right? And the Internet is a limited pool of knowledge as big as it is. God's wisdom, God's knowledge is limitless. You know, just Saturday night before the sermon, I was out on the porch talking to my neighbor, and he was preparing for Sunday school, too, and somehow this issue came up, and he asked me, do you know how many hairs are on the human head? And I said, no. He said, about 100,000. And think about, God knows all the hairs on every person's head who ever lived, and also the hairs that fell out and the <laughs> hairs that are going to be replaced. Like, this is like serious comprehension. Now, the point I wanted to make, though, was that because God's knowledge is so comprehensive, the tiny little slice, sliver, micro sliver of what we have really should give us pause when we question or doubt God's wisdom and goodness because how many times have you thought you had the whole truth and then someone comes along puts the truth in context and all of a sudden what you thought to be true was not true by virtue of everything else that you learned yeah. about the subject and so a lot of times I find myself grumbling or complaining and if I could just remind myself that God's knowledge is so comprehensive he he may have a purpose for allowing what I thought was not a good thing to happen. He might be protecting me from something. I think we can find great comfort in the fact that God's knowledge is so much more comprehensive than ours that we should sort of be suspicious of our own analysis mm. because God is omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he is a loving, kind, merciful Heavenly Father to those of us who put our faith in Christ, and we just need to trust him more and be suspicious mm -hmm. of ourselves more. That's right. That's no, good. I totally agree. And, and I mean, and to your point, I think that we, we, when we start to consider just these situations of our lives, we say to say, this is fair, this is unfair, this is right, this is wrong. We, we are thinking, and I'm just reiterating what you said, so narrowly mm -hmm. about those things. Everything that happened to Joseph before, you know, I mean, every, the, the, what his brothers did to him was wrong. Going to prison was wrong. Being a slave was wrong. Um, and that those things were unjust. Yet it seems that he just kept trusting God 
throughout the whole thing. Now think thing. about that. I, I mean, he, you know, he didn't have the comprehensive knowledge. He right? didn't know it was going to end. What if God, what if God would have said, okay, you know what's better than me? I'm going to send you home. I'm going to spring you from prison. He would have gone back to prison. Everybody dies. Would have ruined the whole story, right? Yeah. Judah dies yeah. of starvation yeah. and right. there's no redemption. Right. So, you know, that's actually a really good thought to end on as we close just reiterating the providential care of God over all things. And I, and I hope and pray that our posture, as we said yesterday, is just to continue to trust the wisdom and knowledge of God and continue to obey His Word. And if we do that, we'll be all right. Well, for Shannon Gibby, the Irish woman, <laughs> and Luigi Priolo from Sicily, I'm Jason Dees from Alabama. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>